Hey, it's Angel, your friendly neighborhood doula. I am so excited to have you here on the Birth Cafe podcast. Here, we'll talk about all things birth, pregnancy, and postpartum. As a certified doula, lactation counselor, and perinatal educator, I hope to provide you evidence-based information on interesting topics while also having fun and open conversations about the perinatal period. This podcast is for birth professionals and parents alike, and I hope that you enjoy what you hear. So grab your favorite cup of tea or coffee, sit down, get comfy, and let's get started. Welcome to part two of why I can't ethically promote formula. Last episode, I went into the uh, formula marketing practices and the World Health Organization's code of breast milk substitutes. I also talked about SIDS and some of the microbiome. However, this part two, we're going to go more into detail about the risks of formula and when it is actually medically indicated to use formula, um, when it's not medically indicated, and what the protocol and steps of supplementation should be in regards to helping babies that may need supplementation. So without further ado, let's get into it. So the next thing that I wanted to talk about was the microbiome and its effect on infants and their long-term health. This is going to be something that I have talked about a lot because I just find the microbiome so important and so fascinating. So there, I have a lot of upcoming episodes on talking about the microbiome. And in fact, I have an episode with Laurel Wilson, where we're going to talk about breast milk and its effect on the infant microbiome. And that's going to actually be coming out in a few weeks when I talk about skin to skin and things like that. So we're going to go over briefly, although I do kind of go over some of these things in a variety of different podcasts, but very briefly. So babies are born with an immature immune system. And breastfeeding trains the immune system to fight, figure out what is friend and foe. So it trains the immune system to decide what is friendly bacteria and then what needs to be attacked. But without proper immune training, the immune system may attack friendly bacteria, which could uh, which can lead to autoimmune diseases. Breast milk also contains an IgA. A antibody, which helps prevent the gut from absorbing allergens. And so this is contained in breast milk. And it's actually not until six months of age that babies can produce these antibodies on their own. So breast milk is like medicine to sick babies as well. Okay. I talk about this a lot in my breastfeeding classes. Breast milk is great. It has a lot of anti-infective properties, especially when we're talking about premature babies. And when we talk about when a mother gets sick, how her breast milk actually protects her infant from severe illness or from even getting sick at all. Something even as important or even just as interesting is a premature baby's mother's colostrum, which is actually higher in anti-infective properties than moms who full-term infants. So their breast milk colostrum isn't as high 
and anti-infective properties as preterm mothers' colostrums are, is. So formula cannot provide any immune protecting effect factors, nor the hormones that breast milk provides in order to have healthy immune system and healthy and and endocrine uh, system. So I'm actually really interested to see uh, how breast milk affects the endocrine system, which is really about like hormones and the hormonal system of the body and how breast milk really comes into play with that because I honestly don't know. But when we think about breast milk, it does provide hormones. One of the hormones I do talk about in my breastfeeding classes and when I talk about breastfeeding is melatonin. So that's something, that's a hormone that we know that's in breast milk. And to be honest, we don't even fully understand the complexities of what breast milk provides to infants. We don't even know all the things that goes into breast milk. We're still studying that. We're still trying to understand that. So formula itself doesn't even come close to what breast milk provides. And we still don't understand what it is that breast milk fully provides for infants. So there's a lot that's missing in formula. And there's actually a video that I want us all to listen to. This comes from the microbirth movie when we're talking about the impact of formula feeding on infant health and the researchers in this video is Maria Gloria and Rodney Dietert. Uh, both of these study different aspects of microbiome and immune toxicology. And so they're studying a lot about like the infant microbiome. So let's take a listen to this. We know very little about the very complex composition of mam mammalian milk and of human milk in particular. And what humans have done is substitute mammalian milk by cow milk. And it seemed to work, uh, except that we are now facing some problems that we believe are related to not having the right bacteria early enough. Sometimes formula feeding may be the only option. But the problem is, those nutrients are not what are designed to support the baby's microbes and allow those microbes to mature in a particularly useful and healthy way for the baby. So we now understand that while the baby may survive with formula feeding, the 90% majority microbes are not doing very well. So we know that maternal milk reduces the diversity of the vaginal microbial communities that colonize the baby. So when you don't have maternal milk and you feed formula, what happens is the diversity increases a little. There are bacteria that shouldn't be there yet and come arrive too early. That may have an impact also on the immune system. We don't know the magnitude of the consequences, but that's, that's a fascinating point because again, we are, if we break the natural rule of breastfeeding naturally, we may also be being helping to um, compromise the education of the immune system of the baby. So if a baby is not able to have breast milk over a long period of time as the, the main nutrient, then the microbes have not undergone this uh, maturity process that occurs uh, during infancy and the adult microbial component uh, has been shown to be quite different 
uh, from infants that have been formula fed versus those that have been breastfed. And that difference seems to be meaningful because those uh, formula fed children are at a greater risk for a variety of non-communicable diseases. The next thing that I wanted to talk about is the emotional development that breastfeeding has on babies. So we think of breast milk as just primarily food, but it definitely does go deeper into that, deeper than that. Um, so the whole goal of this episode is to really point out the facts of why I professionally cannot support promotion of formula, and then why I personally cannot support the promotion of formula. And it's because of all the things that I've listed so far. So when we're talking about the unethical uh, formula marketing practices that are done um, in cahoots with the United States government and with the American Academy of Pediatrics, um, when we're talking about the health effects it has on babies, like sudden infant death syndrome and the effects of the microbiome, these are some of the reasons why, you know, I personally feel that I can't promote it. Um, and then obviously I have a responsibility as a certified lactation counselor to follow the World Health Organization's uh, code of breast milk substitute marketing practices. Now, there is an emotional aspect to breastfeeding. And again, this is kind of feeds into why I'm like, okay, really, we really need to not downplay the benefits of breastfeeding because that's what's happening is that a lot of people are downplaying breastfeeding. They're downplaying the risk of formula. And that's just not right when we're talking about the health of babies. We're talking about the health of babies, infants who have no way to communicate <laughs> any of their discomforts, right? Um, at least not through words. So when we're talking about the emotional development, um, breastfeeding provides connection with mom, right? The breast brings the baby close to mom. This sets off a cascade of hormones through mom and baby uh, to help with the bonding of moms and babies. And it also increases the intuitiveness of the mother, being able to respond better to her baby, being able to understand her baby more, being uh, able to, un you know, have that mother's intuition um, and responding to that when it comes to her infant and her children. Um, not only in infancy, but also later on. So this is actually a really important part of attachment. Um, breast milk is more than just food, right? It's it's that emotional nurturing, hormonally and psychologically, for both mother and baby. And according to one research study, um, breastfeeding can actually protect ba protect babies from mom's depression. Um, it, there's I I talked with. Uh, Dr. Kathleen Kendall Tackett about how breast milk and breastfeeding, well, how breastfeeding actually protects moms from perinatal mood disorders. But um, there is a research study that talks about how, you know, even if mom is depressed, how breastfeeding can protect those babies from the effects of that depression because it does affect them, right? 
my mom's not doing well, my babies aren't doing well. Um, according to Nils Bergman, which I absolutely love him, uh, he's a great advocate for skin-to-skin -skin care. Uh, he talks a lot about skin-to-skin -skin and its neurology, uh, uh, its neurological effect <laughs> on infants and their long-term mental health and, uh, and things like that. He says that during actual breastfeeding, more than any other time, all the sensations are firing and wiring brain circuits, and now in an integrated manner. It is the integration of circuits that make the networks coordinated. That said, the nutritional value of milk is unsurpassed and, and is central for well-being. Interestingly, though, some scientists believe that milk may have started as a protective function and then later become nutritional. It is the protective factors in human milk that make it vastly superior to anything artificial. Fascinating, fascinating um, comment from Dr. Niels Bergman. He is a genius in his time and also presenting information that is so vital and, and that should be shouted from the rooftops. Um, I really wanted to go into um, the risk of formula. Again, this is not to shame anyone. It's only to provide education, right? When we know better, we do better. So take this as education um, and not as me trying to shame anyone for any of their choices to breastfeed, partially breastfeed, or to formula feed. But as in birth, as a doula, it is my job, right, to present you with all the information and facts so that you can make an informed decision. And it would be unethical for me to withhold information from you, um, especially when it can have such a huge impact on your baby's health. All right. Um, all right. So let's go into risk of formula. Now, I find it interesting when we're talking about Dr. Niels Bergman. He actually said something in um, an article on his website, uh, Skin to Skin Contact is the Basis for Breastfeeding. Uh, he said that despite various reports in popular press and reductionist science, which I find very hilarious, <laughs> there is adequate evidence that breastfeeding is vital for health and development. All right. So we know that breast milk is important. We know that there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, we're going to call this reductionist scientist whenever anyone is downplaying the risks of <laughs> formula. <laughs> All right. Now. Uh, opinion alert. So this is my personal opinion and not based on any evidence whatsoever. So let's just leave with that. Um, at least this next thing that I'm about to say. Um, I believe that formula should be considered a medical product, especially since babies that are formula fed should be monitored for digestive problems, allergies, and other formula complications. Um, one of the things about medical products, right, when we're talking about either medication and things like that and other medical devices is that there may be benefits to them, but there's also risks that need to be monitored for, right? Uh, most medications, 
when we're watching those commercials, right? <laughs> they have to talk about the medication, what it does, but also the fact that these risks, there are these risk factors, right? Um, if formula became a medical product, it would shift how formula is promoted and also marketed in um, a drastic way as well. So that's my personal opinion. Um, an, an, another part of this opinion is that I believe that donor milk should be easily accessible for the small percentage of women who cannot breastfeed um, for whatever reason right? Um, it is not easy to get do access to donor milk. In fact, most uh, donor milk agencies only give that donor milk to hospitals, right? They're hugging all the, the donor milk. Because I, I have heard from people who have worked in some of these, uh, like in medical waste, that these donor milk organizations actually waste gallons and gallons and gallons of breast milk. Um, so it's all wasted. No one's using it. Uh, <laughs> and then it's all going to the hospital, right? Why don't moms have access to this? Why aren't we giving moms easy access to donor milk? And I feel like this is something really important, right? When we're talking about breast milk being the optimal nutrition for babies, Obviously, especially with the resources and science that we have with pasteurization, if moms aren't comfortable with milk sharing, donor milk should be a great option and it should be easily accessible, but it's not. It really isn't, unfortunately. And again, it should be because when we're talking about babies with allergies, right, they can be allergic to the ingredients in formula. So what are these moms supposed to do, right? They may have to purchase or go through the headache of insurances, of their insurance to try to get this hypoallergenic formula. And if that doesn't work, then they have to pay for it. And where does that leave mothers? Not in a great spot. All right, so after listening to all this, you may be thinking, or someone may be thinking, and I hear this all the time. <laughs> Well, I had formula growing up. That's all I had. And I turned out fine. Right? You might hear this in regards to a lot of different things. Well, I had this or I went through this as well and I turned out fine. And it always makes me laugh because I'm like, but are we really? Are we really actually okay? <laughs> um, I would love to understand what the definition of fine is. Alive? Or is, is that what our definition of a fine is? Because for the most of us, we're not living a, the most optimal life that we possibly could be for a variety of different reasons. Um, but what is fine? Alive? Uh, <laughs> I really want to know the answer to that. Because you may not be as fine as you think. Right. And when we talk, we're looking at the big picture here. There are a lot of risks, health risks to formula feeding. Right. So let's talk about the risk of formula use in infants. All right. So the short term um, health risk. Right. Uh, and some of the long terms. Right. Respiratory disease. This is a risk of formula 
use in infants. Diarrhea and other digestive problems like GERD. Ear infections. Urinary tract infections and mening meningitis, right? So that's the risk of formula use in infants. Uh, risk of formula use long-term. Uh, there's an increase in childhood diseases like diabetes, cancers, asthma, and allergies. Increased risk of obesity, digestive problems and intolerances, diabetes, again, long-term. Hypo and hyperthyroidism, celiac disease, eczema, MS, lupus. Uh, I actually looked at a whole list of different autoimmune diseases, and there's hundreds of autoimmune diseases. Um, but it does increase your risk of other autoimmune diseases. Um, Crohn's disease, breast cancer, ADHD, general anxiety disorder, and depression. Yes, I listed some mental health aspects to risk of formula use. Yes, there is some research out there that talks about how breastfeeding may offer protective, um, may offer protection for certain mental health issues, right? Um, and yes, let's acknowledge that outside and environmental factors play a part. Yes and mental health. These, thing, these things do play a part. However, mental health has become an increasingly prevalent and huge concern in our society, right? With the gut-brain connection that happens um, and that is created, especially during breastfeeding and infancy, which I talk about a lot in the episode that is coming up with Laurel Wilson, uh, where we talk about the gut-brain connection. Uh, we, can't we can't ignore that the lack of breastfeeding may be a factor in the mental health crisis. And some research shows that breastfeeding increases our tolerances to stress. So I did leave an article on ADHD and breastfeeding that you guys can take a look at. And... Um, there is some research out there about mental health and it's and breastfeeding and how that can be a protective factor um, for our mental health. The next thing that I really wanted to talk about was when it is medically and not medically indicated to use formula. So I'm not gonna go into the whole list because there is a few things to look out for, right? When it's medically indicated and when it's not. And this is probably one of the articles that if you can, uh, especially if you're a, a health professional or a birth professional, I am going to link a American breastfeeding, uh, the I mean, the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine article. Um, it's the clinical protocol for supplementary feedings and healthy term breastfeeding, a breastfed neonate. Okay. Um, so that is, the, this is the protocol from the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine on supplementation, but it talks about when it is medically indicated to use formula and when it is not. And I'm going to go over some things where it is not medically indicated. Um, and I'll go over briefly some of the indications of when it is. 
Um, well, obviously it's indicated to use formula when a mother has passed away and no donor milk is available. Um, if a mother is going through like chemotherapy, the mother is unable to induce lactation and no donor milk is available. Um, a, a mother has been evaluated by a lactation professional and a true observation of low milk supply has been determined and no donor milk is available. Um, any medical issues with mom or baby outlined in the Academy of Breastfeeding Medicine clinical protocol number three. Okay, so there's a whole, whole, whole list of uh, infant, infant indications that includes like breast milk jaundice, um, hyperbilirubemia, um, uh, signs and symptoms that may indicate inadequate milk intake. But there's a lot, when we're talking about medically indicated, there are some things that, like a baby can have jaundice and still not need formula, actually, at all. <laughs> there are some things that, some criteria to kind of be aware of when we're talking about, okay, so a baby does have breast milk jaundice. We're not giving all of those babies breast bre formula, right? Because they don't all need it. But there are some levels where it reaches where you might want to consider uh, giving formula. Okay. So that's really important to know. So if you're a healthcare professional, please, please, please. I don't have time to go into it. Maybe it'll be another, <laughs> uh, podcast episode. And if that's something that you guys want me to go deeper into, let me know, submit a topic request. I did want to go when it is not medically indicated. Um, and, and again, this is coming from the, uh, American Academy Breastfeeding Medicine Clinical Protocol. I don't know why I want to keep saying American. <laughs> uh, the number one is it's not medically indicated to use formula. If the healthy term appropriate for gestational age infant, um, when the infant is feeding well, urinating, stooling adequately, weight loss is in an expected range, Billy Rubens are not of concern depending on gestational age, time of birth, and any other risk factors. So if the baby is healthy, we should not be giving formula whatsoever. <laughs> you know, there are some moms that are very much pressured into just giving their baby formula for absolutely no reason. No medical reason indicated at all whatsoever. Baby is healthy. We don't need to give baby formula. <laughs> Next, uh, if a baby is newborn or normally sleep sleepy after initial alert period after birth, so about two hours, and they then have variable sleep-wake cycles with an additional one or two wakeful periods in the next 10 hours, whether fed or not. Okay, so babies, they get sleepy. If they have the normal sleepy behavior, um, we don't have to give formula for that, okay? Uh, careful attention to an infant's early feeding cues, keeping the infant safely skin-to-skin -skin with mother when she is awake, gently arousing the infant to attempt frequent breastfeeding, and teaching the mother hand expression drops of colostrum may be more appropriate than automatic supplementation after 6, 8, 12, or even 24 hours. Okay, even 24 hours. Your baby is not starving, especially when we're talking about the first 24 to 48 hours. Um, baby has a lot of, um, <laughs> what's, what's the term I'm looking for? They have a lot of just uh, weight, some weight to lose um, from like the water intake and things like that. So um, just giving expression of classroom 
is something that we can do. Okay. Uh, increased skin to skin time can encourage more frequent feeding. So that's something that they talk about. And then 10% weight loss is not an automatic marker for need for supplementation, but it is an indicator for infant evaluation. Something I do talk about a little bit is how IV, IV fluids actually have a play in the baby's weight. Um, this uh, long-term use of IV can actually increase the weight of baby because they have so much of that water weight and they have to lose it. But it is not an automatic marker for supplementation, just evaluation. Um, so the infant who is fussy at night or constantly feeding for several hours, cluster feeding, which is several short feedings closed together, is normal newborn behavior. It should warrant a feeding evaluation to observe the infant behavior at the breast and the comfort of mother to ensure the infant is latched deeply and effectively. And some fussy infants are in pain. That should be addressed. So we should address that the fact that the infant may be uncomfortable. Um, cluster feeding is normal. Okay, so that's not, that's definitely not something that we need to be uh, worried about. And that's something that should be passed on to mothers as well. Is that, it's normal, right? It's normal. All right, so moms that are tired or sleeping. So some fatigue is normal for new mothers. However, Rooming out for maternal fatigue does not improve mother's sleep time and has been shown to reduce breastfeeding exclusivity. I have seen this where mom or grandma comes in and mom, the mother's tired, just let her sleep. I'll just formula feed the baby. Well, this does a lot of harm to the breastfeeding uh, diet. Extreme fatigue should be evaluated for the safety of the mother and baby to avoid falls and suffocation. Okay, we also have to look at what drugs are mom is is mom on okay did mom lose too much blood things like that so these are things that we should be evaluating for but it doesn't mean that we're immediately giving uh supplementation breastfeeding management that optimizes the infant feeding at the breast may make for a more satisfied infant and allow the mother to get more rest all right, so those are some indications that we maybe the dyad should be evaluated, but it's not a medical indication that uh, something it, that the baby needs to get uh, supplemented right away. So something else that is really important to know is the supplementation protocol, right? There's actually a, a protocol that should be introduced to mothers. This goes for lactation consultants, pediatricians, nurses, all of these, you know, health professionals that are in going to be helping the mother in any kind of way in the in the infant in some kind of way. They should understand what that protocol of supplementation is and the steps, okay? The steps of supplementation. Um, really, I really encourage everyone to look at this article because they actually talk about like ways to prevent the need for supplementation as well, um, how we can prevent that. So go take a look at that article. Um, but let's talk about the steps of choice of supplementation. So the first thing that a mom should always 
be using to supplement for because this this is a really 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 important um if there's any concern for the infant the first thing that a mom should be doing is expressing her own milk and giving it to the baby for any extra feedings okay um so moms need to understand how to hand express um, and do breast massage and breast compressions okay um and then you also learning how to use a pump as well a mechanical pump is more ideal i feel the next step is not formula <laughs> but it's actually donor human milk okay so the first thing that a mom should be using to supplement for her baby is her own milk so expressing her own milk secondly is donor milk um if donor milk is not available then infant formula um specifically they say here protein hydrosate formulas okay they say that is actually preferable than standard infant formula okay so that's something to keep in mind the fourth one is supplementation uh Oh, this is interesting. So number four, they say supplementation with glucose water is not appropriate because it does not provide sufficient nutrition. Um, and it also does not reduce sero serum bilirubin and might cause uh, hyponatremia. Okay, so that's really interesting. Um, I have seen hospitals give baby sugar water um, and they're saying that is not appropriate. Alrighty. Um, and then next, the potential risks and benefits of other supplemental fluids, they say, such as cow's milk formula, soy formulas, or protein hydrosate formulas, must be considered along with the available resources to the family, the infant's age, the amounts needed, and the potential impact, potential impact of the establishment of breastfeeding. Okay. So in the steps, right, we need to make sure that mom, if she's going to, if the baby needs supplementation, that she's using her own milk first, okay? And if that's not enough, then we need to use donor milk. And if that's not enough, then the the first formula that we should go to is the protein hydrosalate uh, formulas. And then um, with infant formula being something else to consider, regular infant uh, formula. Um, something else that you had mentioned is that Clinicians need to consider several other criteria, such as the cost and availability of the formula, the ease and use of cleaning. So parents can't afford it. <laughs> Maybe we should just, you know, figure out, you know, what they can afford. So telling them that they don't have to use Similac, <laughs> the most expensive one. Uh, by the way, if you didn't know, Similac stands for similar to lactation, which is absolutely insane and they actually shouldn't be able to do that because that violates the code anyway um whether adequate milk volume can be fed in 20 or 30 minutes and whether anticipated use is short term or long term something else i feel is very very important is that people should understand how to wean off formula no one is taught how to wean off pro uh, formula um and then parents are are just kind of left 
with formula with no way to get back to exclusive breastfeeding unless they are determined to do so themselves. All right. So those are all important things to really consider about the choice of supplementation um, and the protocol with that. And then when we're when we are talking about like when is it actually needed to use formula and when is it not needed to use formula? Other things we need to do. Let's talk about what what we as a society need to do what we as in the healthcare community, we as birth professionals need to do, and then we as parents need to to demand happens in our society. Okay, so we're calling everyone to the forefront to change policies and to change the way that we do things. Now, some of these things I mean, they're not going to happen immediately. But the more that people voice their concerns, guys, money is a huge, 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 um, you know, reason why all of this is happening. And if, if you know, companies feel like their money is threatened um, or if they feel like they can do something better to increase patients coming to their hospital or, or their programs and things like that, they are more likely to change their policies, right? Or if we bring this to the forefront. So some things that we need to do as a society, as parents, as birth professionals, as health professionals, that we need to advocate for and demand is that we make donor milk more readily available. That needs to be done. Human milk should be the first thing that is given to babies the first thing, whether it's mom's own milk or donor milk. Um, as health professionals, both pediatricians, birth professionals, anyone that's working with a mother-baby dyad, and I'm going to include mental health professionals because I have seen a lot of misinformation from mental health professionals as well. Um, if you're working with mothers and babies at any point, you need to have, you yourself should be educated on breastfeeding. And then you should understand how to educate moms about breastfeeding. And then the ones that see the moms prenatally, being thorough with your education on the risks of formula <laughs> and being transparent about that, um, while also including some of the benefits or all of the benefits of breastfeeding as well. <clears throat> uh, being, being aware of the harmful marketing practices um, and the United States needs to create laws that prevent these marketing tactics. So we as consumers need to be aware of these harmful marketing practices that the formula companies do. do. And the United States government needs to create laws. So we as the people should demand that they create these laws um, to prevent these marketing tactics. Um, obviously, better parental leave. Uh, that is a huge factor. Um, with breastfeeding rates here in America. Um, healthcare professionals are pediatricians only prescribing formula when medica medically indicated and then following the protocol for supplementation, right? Mom's own breast milk first, donor milk second, um, and then formula being the very last thing that you do. All right. Um, for our parents that are listening, um, and if you're pregnant, preparing 
in pregnancy is really important for breastfeeding. Okay. You are very susceptible to misinformation about breastfeeding because most people aren't educated in it. You're the people who are going to go to first. So your pediatricians, your midwife, your OBGYN, they have very minimal education on breastfeeding. I've seen even birth workers give out bad information about breastfeeding, misinformation about breastfeeding. So to protect yourself in that re breastfeeding relationship, make sure that you are fully educated on breastfeeding, how it works, how to prevent breastfeeding issues, how birth comes into play with breastfeeding um, as well. I encourage all moms to hire lactation professionals prior to delivery. So finding a lactation professional prior to giving birth. A lot of uh, lactation professionals do offer prenatal support and breastfeeding. So providing education. And then when you deliver, um, there are lactation professionals that will come to your home within the first day or two of you being home to help with breastfeeding. Um, if you're a parent, understanding your job's pumping policies um, and rooms and knowing where to get help if they are not compliant uh, with these laws. Okay, there are laws that protect breastfeeding and pumping mothers. Um, uh, your lactation, your local lactation counselor is the best place to start if they are not compliant with the laws. Uh, after you deliver your baby, again, making sure that you schedule a in-home or in-office lactation appointment as soon as possible and likely and, and preferably within 48 hours of you getting home. So you would need to schedule your lactation appointment while you're still in the hospital so that by the time you get out, either the day that you get out or the day after you get out or within the next 48 hours of you getting out, you are going to see a lactation consultant, even if you think things are going well. And then making sure that you follow up with your lactation provider or per lactation professional regularly, not a one-time visit. Um, it shouldn't be a one-time visit. It should be a multiple visit, especially if there's anything going wrong. Making sure that you train daycare workers and babysitters and breastfeeding and then making sure that your partner is well-educated and well-supportive of breastfeeding. Something I do go into detail about in my breastfeeding classes is how important it is to have that circle of breastfeeding support. And that when one of those pieces are missing, it can cause a lot of trouble with breastfeeding and the duration of you breastfeeding. Now, determination is a pretty key factor in being successful in breastfeeding. Let, I'm going to be honest. Determination is definitely one of those. Uh, before formula, that's all we really had. Or we, you know, had our community, uh, another friend or family member that would breastfeed our babies. But nowadays, it's determination that is really going to make you successful in breastfeeding. But what will help make that journey easier um, is making sure you have the proper education in breastfeeding and the proper support uh, from work, friends, family, all, all, of, all of the things.
So I really, really hope that you guys enjoyed this information and found it to be enlightening. And I know I've listed a lot of resources for this podcast. If I missed any resources, like you're like, hey, you had mentioned this article or this podcast, and I really want to listen to it, or I really want to read it, and I didn't put it in the show notes, um, please reach out to me. Uh, my email should be in the show notes. Uh, you can message me on my Instagram or my Facebook and let me know that there's something that you wanted to be included in the show notes if I missed anything. So I do hope that you guys found found this information very uh, useful and helpful. And I'm so glad that I was able to share this with you guys. And this information was a lot of fun to research. Um, some of the books that I would encourage you to read, my favorite one is Breastfeeding Made Simple. Uh, that one is... Uh, written by Nancy Moorbacher and Kathleen Kendall Tackett. Uh, Kathleen Kendall Tackett also uh, wrote a book called Breastfeeding Doesn't Need to Suck. I encourage reading of that. And then Dr. Jack Newman also has a book called What Doctors Don't Know About Breastfeeding. And that's something else that I definitely encourage all of you guys to take a look at and read. Um, whether you're pregnant or not, whether you're breastfeeding or not, and if you're uh, a birth or health professional, I definitely encourage you guys to take a look at that. Um, something else I would love to include that I will include in the show notes is uh, the link to join the microbiome uh, courses so that you guys can go deeper into microbiome and the importance of that. And that is all I have for you today. So I hope you enjoy this. And until next time, I shall see you all later. Bye.